0: Thank you for listening to the Plain State Podcast, a production of the Department of English at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. This special episode was produced by the Nebraska Writing Project for the National Writing Project National Park Services Partnership. Welcome to Blending Place-Based Education and C3WP in rural Nebraska, a focus on civil discourse. This podcast is produced by the Nebraska Writing Project as part of the series on place-based education, For the National Writing Project National Park Service Partnership. I'm Dr. Robert Brook, I'm Director of the Nebraska Writing Project, and I'm very interested in talking today.
1: Hi, I'm Melissa Legate. I am a secondary English teacher in Pierce, Nebraska, and I'm also a co-director of the Nebraska Writing Project.
0: Okay, we are here today to talk about a project that Melissa did up in her school in Pierce, Nebraska, uh, that actually became her master's thesis. So what we wanted to do in the, the talk today is talk about what that project is, how it connects with place-based education, and the development of the C3WP program and argument writing. And then we'll have a, a couple sound bites to share from our students, and we'll talk about some of the wider uh, implications of that work. So, but I'm not sure everybody who's listening to us across the nation might know where Pierce, Nebraska is and uh, uh, what what Pierce, Nebraska is like. So, Melissa, do you want to talk a little bit about, give us some sense of what your community is?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so Pierce is a small rural community. We're in Northeast Nebraska. Um, our population is about 1,700. Um, it's historically, it was a German settlement. And... You know, up and where in the area of the state where we are, a lot of communities are smaller like ours. Uh, but we do neighbor one of the larger communities that's in the, our part of the state, which is Norfolk, Nebraska. There's about 25,000 people there, and so that city actually employs a number of people in Pierce. So a lot of our citizens are commuters um, that go work in Norfolk. But there's also a lot of locally owned businesses in town that employ. A great number of people, but overall I would say our community is mostly agricultural. A lot of people farm or have livestock um, or they're involved in some other sector of agriculture. Um, our school is a 7 through 12 building and we are the only public school in our district, um, but in grades 7 through 12 we have about 300 students, so that comes out to about 50 or 60 students per grade. Um, and in Nebraska, that would make us a Class C1 school, if that means anything <laughs> to people out there. Um, but our community, as I said, is largely German settlement, so it's it's very homogenous in terms of ethnicity and culture um, and religion as well, uh, but it's just a really nice, wholesome community. I moved here after college graduation uh, to start my teaching career, and I have loved living here.
0: So. Cool. And, and now, in your school building, how many English teachers are there?
1: I am one of four from grades seven through twelve.
0: So okay, one of four, and I think you also do the speech and drama. Do you have other commitments as well? Yeah.
1: Oh yes. Um, for the first seven years of I'm, this is my eighth year teaching. For the first seven years, I was the yearbook and journalism advisor. So we did the newspaper and the annual. And then um, for the last seven years, I have been the speech coach as well.
0: Okay. Very cool. Well, um, one of the things we wanted to talk about today is how your project, which focused on civil, the civic discourse for your students, taps into place-based education and taps into the National Writing Project's community, college, uh, and career writing program that you were involved in also. We think that you are showcasing a blend between those programs that might appeal to listeners across the state. So I wanted to ask, um, why? What you saw is the appeal for your students of what you're doing with the the connections that you found from C3WP.
1: Sure, um, I took the C3WP training when I was working on my master's thesis as one of the Nebraska Writing Project summer courses for teachers, and at that time I was just so excited as I thought about how I would implement it in our classroom because. One of the key principles of C3WP is considering multiple perspectives and, you know, making sure that one has all of the the facts and different viewpoints before arriving at a claim. And I feel like for students in general, but um, maybe particularly students in my school that um, we often, or they often kind of do it backwards where they they come up with the argument or the perspective that they want to argue for on a topic that they've been assigned, and then they only look for sources that support them, you know, and kind of ignore everything else. And so in a community like Pierce where students really are mainly exposed to viewpoints that are like theirs, um, they were never forced to confront or interact with Um, perspectives that might be different. And so I just thought it was so wonderful to have a program that really engages students with all these different perspectives before they form their viewpoints and before they form their claims.
0: Okay. And uh, remind me, but the C3WP program, uh, as we use it here in Nebraska, often works by, by the development of what we think of as a text set or an interactive set of texts that uh, can you talk a little bit about how you 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 were thinking about that process.
1: Absolutely, yeah. With C three WP, um, students will engage with multiple texts around a certain issue, and those texts are not just like polar opposites of a spectrum regarding this issue. There's, you know, just like with most complicated things, there's a lot of facets to some of these argumentative concepts, and so. Uh, the principles behind a C3WP text set are that they look at lots of different nuanced perspectives surrounding an issue rather than like two sides of, you know, an argument. And so, when crafting a text set for these students, um, that was one thing that was really emphasized by C3WP is making sure that this isn't just a you know a pro con argument. It's it's more than just two sides. There's a lot of different aspects to consider because most things are more complex than that.
0: Okay, cool. I, this is so interesting because I think what we found here in Nebraska is that the text set idea really plugs into what we think about as place-based education. When we do place-based or place-conscious education, we are moving students uh, into the community, engaging directly with community projects that are going on around them, and immediately what they find themselves uh, in contact with is a variety of perspectives from the community members themselves, often about the issue that they are facing and going on with that. Um, uh, So what we think that Place-based education and C3W play P blend relatively naturally to try to create uh, an idea of what we call a place-based education and informed and active citizenry. I have uh, uh, on on my desk. I have a, an old copy of Rural Voices: Place-Based Education and the Teaching of Writing, which we produced here in Nebraska uh, back in uh, around 2000. And there's a little paragraph about the kind of citizen that we're hoping to develop through place-based education. I think is really germane right here because it speaks to how it is the multiple perspectives of C3WP tech sets might apply to real-world community engagement that we've got. So here's a quote. It's a, it's a paragraph long. Be forewarned about that. Here it goes. Place-based education is aimed at a specific kind of citizenry. Place-conscious citizens should be people who can live well in interdependence. is, people who know enough about their natural and cultural region to fashion lives that enhance the communities located there. Place-conscious citizens are locally active, engaged in community decision-making for their region through their work, schools, local government, and civic organizations. Place-conscious education thus provides an alternative to the focus of mainstream education on the creation of migratory displaced citizens equipped with markable abstract skills and knowledge, but lacking any sense of living well in local community. So I think that one of the things we were after, that's the end of the quote, by the way, but I think one of the things we were after here was was uh, tackling how it is a focus on civic, civic discourse uh, When approaching a a tech set that's developed with multiple perspectives is also a training ground for the kind of active citizenry that we wanted to to discuss. I think that was partly where you started with the first uh, uh, tech set that you created for your students.
1: Yeah, Uh, the whole idea of my project was to prepare students for that civic participation using the principles of C3WP to prepare them for that civil discourse. And so I wanted to start out for them with an argument that would be highly relevant to, you know, their actual civic participation. And so I chose the issue of rural decline to build that first tech set around. Uh, We had just finished with a unit of Nebraska poetry, so I felt like it was a nice way to kind of tie in some argument skills there after they had spent several weeks like celebrating where we are from uh, using that poetry. And so we ended up reading a text set that had a lot of perspectives on the decline and like the shifting demographics of some of our rural communities, specifically in Nebraska. uh, Most of the texts that we read came from Nebraska newspapers like the Omaha World Herald um, and the Lincoln Journal Star. And so some of the different perspectives, like one of them focused on uh, reasons why a lot of this is happening, like why people after they graduate from high school are not returning to their communities. You know, obviously citing things like the lack of a broad range of career opportunities, um, a little bit of, you know, kind of a lower salary, things like that. Um, and then also some texts focus on like what should be done, I guess, to combat this Um, discussing what other states have done to incentivize young people to return to their small communities after they, you know, go to college and receive their education. Um, Some were more editorial. They talked from the perspective of people who did end up returning to their small communities and talked about why they did that. Um, So they got all these different varieties of perspectives. And then after engaging with their arguments or with these arguments, Um, students were kind of challenged to write their own claims about rural decline. You know, some of them focused on what should be done to combat it. Some focused on why they maybe don't want to return and why that's an okay perspective. Um, So a lot of different things came out of it. But it was so interesting because, I mean, obviously this is an issue that directly affects them and one that they're going to have to think seriously about in the next five to ten years of their lives. So um, what I actually have here next is some excerpts of my conversation with a few of my former students. Um, they were in my class during the time that I was working on my thesis. And so right now they're juniors, but they were ninth graders at the time. Um, their names are Abigail, Tanner, and Sean. And so they, their work is excerpted in my thesis actually, but they just kind of talk about here the experience of writing about an issue that so directly affects them. And then also just the experience of learning these writing or these um, argument skills in general and how they've been useful to them, both inside and outside of school. You wrote an argument using those different perspectives um, about rural decline and, you know, whether these small towns, you know, some of you focused your claims on whether these small towns were, were worth You know, saving in some ways. Some of you focused your claims around what we should do to try to save small towns because a couple of the articles, you know, offered different types of solutions. So you ended up having to take a perspective and then use evidence to write about it. But that probably wasn't the first time that you've done that in school, and it certainly wasn't the last. But it might have been one of the only times that you wrote about an issue that does so directly affect you. So I guess, could you describe the experience of writing about something that relates to your life so much, even in ways that contrast maybe with, you know, other types of writing that you do, like when you write about a a novel that you're reading, or like a big issue in government that maybe doesn't feel like it's in your backyard, the same way that this one does?
2: Yeah, so I feel like in those ones, it's a lot of here, write this and try and do your best to get the grade. But while writing these ones that are a lot closer to home, it provokes a lot more thought and a lot more feeling into your writing. And I feel like that really shows when it actually comes out in the final piece compared to a little bland thing about some problem that really doesn't affect us. But something like this really really pushes your train of thought into what what would you actually do and what do you want other people to do?
3: Yeah, it kind of relates to what Tanner said, but I feel like the student mentality in general is usually to get the project done at the best of your ability and not really put the extra time in to make it amazing. But with a topic like this that affects you in your everyday life, you were willing to go forth and put in extra research so that you didn't have to because you were just intrigued to learn more and more about like the issue and how we can fix it ourselves in our daily lives. So I think you were just, everyone in general is willing to put a lot more work into this rural decline essay because it affects you so much in your everyday life instead of just being a paper.
4: I think I was definitely more conflicted about writing this essay than I have been in past ones, just because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted, like what I believed or what I thought. But I think overall, compared to writing other essays, I think I got more out of this and like writing essays about books or novels because it's something that affects me every day. And I mean, I use what I learned from that essay even now when I view like rural areas. So I think I've just learned a lot more from that and I've applied it to more aspects of my life than I may have in other essays.
1: I think it's interesting that you said it was harder for you to take a side because You know, I would agree. When when an issue feels so personal like this, you do really think about which perspective you want to take. Whereas in an essay that might be about something that maybe you don't feel as directly attached to, you just kind of like maybe pick a perspective and, and support it, you know, and it maybe doesn't feel quite as personal. So it's not as difficult, maybe, to decide which viewpoint you want to adopt. So I guess I can just open it up. Is there anything else that you feel like someone listening to this podcast about argument writing and specifically about place-based argument writing, like anything that you think those people would want to know?
2: I would say before you like make an opinion, put your feelings aside, no matter, even if you're biased right now, try your best to put them aside learn all the facts that you can, take everything into account, even if it hits you so personally, because you may be missing something. And so get the facts first, and then then base your, your opinion on the facts.
3: Uh, I think if you're trying to write a paper, just try to look at it from as many perspectives as possible, and maybe you'll get insight on something else you want to write about. See yourself in someone else's shoes. See yourself uh, with your personal stories and what you've experienced in life and then just look at it trying to think about nothing that you have had in life and just off of the papers and then eventually when you put it all together you can use all those viewpoints to make your argument a lot stronger
4: along the lines of what sean and tanner said just understanding others viewpoints and understanding that while you may have an opinion that doesn't mean other people don't have opinion and their opinions can't be right too instead of just saying that they're wrong because they're not yours, they can still be right. They just may have a different perspective and everyone has different things that make their viewpoints different to them. They may have different beliefs or they may have looked at different like research than you have. So just listening to their perspectives, I think you can learn a lot about yourself and your argument. So just trying to be more understanding overall.
1: So having that conversation uh, three years after they took my class was just so exciting because I loved hearing uh, what they were able to take away and still be using. But I also loved that they were echoing the principles of place conscious education without even knowing it. You know, they talked so much about how writing this argument that was personally connected connected to them uh, was just so much more meaningful, even though it was more challenging. That they felt they got a lot more out of that and they felt more attached to what they were writing. It felt more authentic. Um, I loved hearing that. And then, of course, the big takeaway of argument writing that they had about considering all the perspectives and all the facts before arriving at a claim. And I feel like that's something that I hope is useful to them in school, but also beyond. You know, that's the kind of citizenry that we want is one that's informed and considering everybody's viewpoints before they take their position.
0: Thanks, Melissa. I I wanted to say too about this tech set that you did at the secondary level with your students, uh, a version of that same tech set is something that I've developed for use with college juniors, and I found that uh, I've been using that tech set for two, three semesters in a course called Writing the Uses of Literacy at the Junior Level, and I found that the students often explode that same same way. Uh, The tech set I've been using has Paul Gruchal's wonderful article, What We Teach Rural Children, a segment out of the rural brain drain uh, from Karin Keflis's hollowing out the middle, and a piece about personal migration coming back to the midwest by scott sanders it's called the common life and uh, then Deborah Marquette's wonderful essay, Things Best Seen in the Rearview Mirror, which is about uh, the North, going back to North Dakota for her father's funeral and seeing all the ways that her community is invested in the place. And she's uh, migrated off to, for some time. What I found with college juniors here at Nebraska, they're coming from all over the state, places like Pierce, but also other communities in the place. And they are often use that tech set to identify the complexity of the issues surrounding rural decline in the communities that they've emerged. One really quick story I might tell is about a uh, young woman from Bennett, Nebraska, which is a small rural community, just a bedroom community for Lincoln. Uh, She's going into healthcare for her profession, but one of the things that stood out for her reading these things was thinking about how it was that doctors and nurses and uh, nurse practitioners as a group, tend to migrate away from rural Nebraska into other areas of the state. And there's a chronic need for uh, uh, work uh, being done in the health services out there, and she began. To, she worked, jumped from that to do her final project of how it was that healthcare providers might be enticed to go out to join rural Nebraska and some folks. She's going to be a dentist when she gets done, and so she was focusing on how to return to rural Venice to become a dentist. I thought it was kind of interesting. So I think the, my point here is that. Uh, I think the kind of tech set that you're doing that taps the geographical realities of the place where we live anyway, and I think places across the country, is is a very powerful uh, pedagogical mechanism for getting folk jump-started into thinking in really exciting ways that they're they're doing here. Um, But now your project didn't end with this tech, with the rural decline tech set. You guys went on from there. Is that
1: right? Absolutely. So because the focus of my thesis was this argument, I wanted to continue on with those skills as well. So after um, we tied in this rural decline argument with the poetry unit, um, our school's curriculum for ninth grade then has um, the Odyssey and Romeo and Juliet coming up next. And so I thought, you know, even though those maybe didn't feel as place conscious, uh, we could still practice the principles of C3WP as we did those um, particular literature units, and so we did some uh, mini unit arguments with that kind of tied thematically to both of those texts. That way, students weren't losing the concept of you know writing a nuanced claim and using those multiple perspectives to illustrate your claim or to counter it or something like that. So they were still allowed to practice those writing skills, even though we weren't back in that world of place consciousness. Um, and then from there we ended up in our final project, which was a research project. And so we wanted I wanted to tie that um, into back into place consciousness. So what we had done right before that, I forgot to mention this one after Romeo and Juliet, but we had read a Holocaust literature unit. And so I tied in thematically a short text set on protests and whether that was like an effective means of civic participation. And from there then we kind of started asking ourselves, now what kinds of issues are in our communities that we might want to do something about, whether it's protesting or some other sort of civic action or participation. Um, And so after asking ourselves those questions, we had this whole list on our whiteboard of different issues that affected the students at a very, very local level, like in school, um, to broadening out a little bit to our town, to our state, to our county, um, and then some that were a little bit more, you know, global or national. Um, and then students picked one that they felt attached to, particularly to research, and then build their own text set that encompassed lots of different perspectives on that issue. So um, one that really stood out to me was a student named Dylan. He ended up writing his argument on um, our local rec- recreation area, Uh, Willow Lake. So we have a beautiful, uh, like big giant lake that attracts a lot of people every year to boating and fishing and jet skiing and swimming and all of that great stuff. Um, And so every year though, because we're in an agricultural community, we find that it gets these blue green algae blooms that get so um, like high that they're to that toxic level. And so they end up putting in a lot of restrictions on people like swimming in the lake. It ends up maybe harming some of the wildlife in the area. So um, Dylan is, his uh, dad worked closely with people at Willow Lake. And so, and he's also a hunter, you know, so he's a very, you know, conservationist minded kid. So this definitely stood out to him, this issue. So he did a lot of research. He just looked up some general information on blue-green algae and how it gets started. Because at the time, he didn't know that it was because of fertilizer and like field runoff and stuff like that. And so when he discovered that, um, that really helped inform his perspective. And then one of my favorite pieces of research that he did was an interview with Willow Lake superintendent. So um, he actually sat down with him and got a lot of information about willow itself and how much it brings into our community revenue-wise, what people in our local community have done about this or to try to combat this issue. Um, So he ended up finding out that willow brings in about one to two hundred thousand dollars of revenue to pierce annually, Um, but the superintendent of the lake told him that this is really heavily impacted when the blooms get to that toxic level because then you know if you can't swim in the lake nobody's going to (laughs) come. Um, so he ended up, once he found out all of this information, he ended up making the argument that some solutions involving like keeping cattle out of creeks, um, that feed willow, and then encouraging farmers to do things like plant cover crops, um, that would kind of lessen the field runoff should be put in place. And he found a lot of this information in his interview with that lake superintendent, um, who had told him that the Nebraska Game and Parks actually offers financial incentives to farmers sometimes to, to keep the, their cattle out of the creeks and stuff like that. So he proposed that more of that kind of stuff needs to happen. You know, at, local, at the local level, we do a lot of testing of the algae levels and things like that, but he wanted to do more about like what should be done to prevent it in the first place. But I just thought it was so interesting because he's an ag kid. He's really, really involved in FFA at our school. Um, But he's also, like I said, very into hunting and fishing too. And so he, I just love that his argument was so nuanced to the point that it valued the conservation of willow, but it didn't vilify the farmers either. And actually his solution ended up being something that could benefit them too.
0: Yeah. Now remind me, was his, was his, Were her parents farmers? His
1: parents parents were not, but his extended family, like grandparents,
0: are. Okay. Yeah. So did he report to you having conversations with his extended family about the issues that he was finding out?
1: You know, uh, he did talk a little bit about how this just changed his viewpoints on things quite a bit after he had all of the information. So... It was just interesting to, like, read his author's note about, you know, how he went about discovering this information and how it really opened his eyes to things that he didn't know before. Um, and it was just interesting to him because it's an issue that, once again, is in his backyard. And so one that we hear about every summer, like, oh, now we can't go to Willow because this week the, the Blue Green allergy is back, <laughs> you know, so... Um, a lot of people maybe want to have opinions on it, but don't have all the information. And so he felt now he had all that information that he was just, he understood the the nuance of this problem so much
0: more. Right. And the, the, the nuance is connected to having different people who are real people in the community, having different stakes on the argument, on the, on the decision, what they're going to do. If you're telling me and I'm a farmer that I've got to keep my, uh, Cows out of the Darn Creek, uh, and that's what I've been using to get them watered. Uh, that's kind of an issue for this. I'm I'm reminded by your story of uh, the kind of opening up of local controversy especially in small uh, rural communities in the Midwest here often go underground that get exposed by the kind of projects like this that we're doing. I'm remembering a project that my colleague Sharon Bishop did in in Henderson uh, around the center pivot irrigation uh, system that is all across Nebraska and the uh, degree to which the center pivot irrigation system is drawing from the aquifer. So the questions when young people begin understanding uh, Understanding water began. Looking at water in the in the city, uh, how difficult it was to, to get the different perspectives in order. The effect of water reduction on wildlife. The effect of water production on the crops that we were that their families depended on. The science of whether those things the aquifer was re- reducing or not. These were all huge issues, and they could connect them right to adults in their community that uh, in the privacy of their own interviews had very strong opinions that often conflicted with uh, other people in the community. Uh, The young person was left uh, trying to make sense of this. I think also makes sense of one of the the big pushes across the C3WP uh, platform is what happens when we live in a culture where uh, diametrically opposed arguments exist, and we need to talk across them and some others. So I wanted to ask you, too, if the, uh, uh, when they turned in their final arguments, were you the only person who saw them? Or did they actually share them with some of the people that they interviewed with?
1: In a lot of cases, I probably was the only one. Uh, <laughs> I know for this one that the student did end up sharing some of his work with uh, the guy who he interviewed as a, as a thank you for you know helping him get so much of his research done. But yes, and that is definitely a step that I want to take. You know, but it's it's thinking about how to do that in a way that students don't feel nervous, I guess, to share their real perspectives because again, it is kind of scary in a community like ours where your viewpoints are largely the same uh to maybe be a dissenting voice
0: yeah and that issue of uh uh going public with dissension which i think connected with the the, uh, protest stuff that you were doing right after uh, right before this it's very very interesting work okay um in the c3wp program that you studied and worked with um how does c3wp uh uh, make the case for having us go public with our claims at the end of that?
1: Sure. So C3WP really wants to create like authentic writing for students. And I think that that is part of the authenticity is focusing on audience and writing for real people and a real purpose. And so um, I know that several of the mini units do talk pretty heavily about um, that concept of understanding your audience and um using what you know about them to build your argument Uh, and you know even when you're sharing your perspective how to do that in a way that's not going to turn your audience off and things like that are those are skills that are built into the c3wp curriculum so it's definitely something where you do want to encourage students to share their work and so it's not just written in a vacuum
0: thanks melissa for that description i'm interested in how uh the work that your students did uh who the audiences was for that, because you're kind of talking about that through the C3WP program. Um, in your class, I'm not sure this this class, they necessarily had the opportunity, except by individuals, to go out to connect with uh, adult audiences in the community. But I'm wondering about how you might imagine uh, co- uh, context that you could create in and around the school, school itself that allows students, to share their research projects with the uh, adult constituents that are part of what they're doing.
1: Definitely, you know, as a teacher, it's just one of those, it's something that comes naturally to you that you're always thinking about how you could improve what you just did, you know, and as proud as I am of the work that the students did and what they gained from these projects, I've always known that like, this is the weak point for me as a teacher, I need to uh, give them that authentic audience and have them practice that audience awareness and just how important that is. And so, I think in future projects with them that are similar to this what I would like to implement is this element where they have to imagine who their authentic audience would be and then as you know use the the awareness of their demographics as they write and then from there you know once they've selected that audience because it is going to vary widely depending on what the student's project is then they would actually present their work in some way to their constituents. So like I had some students write about very um, microcosm type things that were just within the school. And so I'm thinking about their audience probably being like our administration or our school board, depending on what type of uh, issue they wrote about. And so, and the presentation of that might look different depending on their audience too, you know, like their administration is um, a lot very busy so it might be one of those things that they have to think about how they would condense their argument into a short presentation that would engage the principal uh, but also give him all the information that he needs same way if they presented to like the school board Um, if the issue was a little bit more broad and affected local things you know i would like to see them think about how they could maybe craft their research paper as maybe an editorial that goes into the local paper or something that maybe appears on our school website, because that's something that reaches a lot of parents and stakeholders in the community as well. So that's definitely something that moving forward, um, I want to tweak with the project and add into it, because I think that really adds some richness to it when you're thinking about who you're writing to and how that affects not just what you say, but how you say it.
0: Yeah, those are cool things. I'm, uh, as you're talking, I'm uh, thinking about uh, folk within the Nebraska Writing Project Network who are also doing place-based uh, programs like yours, but maybe not with the C3WP material uh, in, input in it yet. Uh, just a quick two examples uh, of moving to a public audience that I think fits with some of these. I remember some years ago uh, my colleague Sharon Bishop in Henderson school uh, the year that school that Henderson was consolidating small rural schools have a hard time keeping alive they often have to consolidate with the school next door so Henderson Bradshaw was going to become a new school uh, district and the kids were were worried about that so the research project that the senior class took on at that that year was to explore what happened historically in the city of Henderson. The last time there was a school consolidation, which had been about 50 years ago when all the church schools became Henderson public Schools. So they had about six different rural church schools out there. So her kids went out and interviewed all the adult elders that were still around from that period of time and gathered that information, found out, uh, Some horror stories about the families that weren't talking to each other after 50 years um, and some other uh, really nice stories about the way things worked out Um, and they brought that all and she had the students at the very end do a presentation PowerPoint suits and ties to the school board about what they found out and what the recommendations of the senior class of this year was for the coming coming. And that was a really authentic audience. And the neat thing about it was that Sharon and her students got a range of adult responses back to them that thanked them for their hard work and presentations on that. That same uh, connecting with thinking. I remembered uh, Kathy English for a a bunch of years when she was teaching in Aurora, which is another small town. It's a little bit bigger than Pierce, but it's uh, it's about mid-central Nebraska. Uh, Also an agricultural city, changing its demographics as it's getting uh, absorbed in by the grand island metro network right now um and she had her students do a several generations back interview about the livelihoods of the main breadwinner in the family and then ended up choosing one of those uh uh people to do a video uh uh presentation about that person's life and of course collectively the the class was able to study what the changing demographics of employment was as this part of our country moved from what had largely been agricultural only to uh, now a lot of suburban uh, uh, bedroom community people going off to work in the other communities and coming back home. But again, when they were able to showcase those uh, profiles of the family elder to uh, to the community, outpouring of love and affection from the community because here was something really, really happened that that went on in some ways. So I'm interested in the ways that uh, the C3WP work that you're doing in PEERS might connect with the connection to uh, actual audiences in the communities that already exist. I don't know. Those are some of the thoughts I had at this point.
1: I think that's great. My wheels are already spinning, you know, as I'm thinking about, okay, uh, how am I going to do this next year? Because it really, it does add like an extra level of engagement. As engaging as the students already find this project, like I can't imagine how much more um, invested they would feel in presenting a really quality product if they knew, you know, a real audience was going to see it, not just Mrs. LeGate.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of exciting, that extra layer of audience that comes in. I think that's also part of Uh, C3WP's push towards uh, making nuanced claims go visible into public and civic discourse where we need discourse, which is not just shouting at each other, but in fact, engaging in nuanced thinking about that. Um, And I think the work that you're doing here is uh, uh, connected to with other folk in our network who are trying to develop place-based tech sets around local issues. So not just the ones that are part of the training program for C3WP, but allow out local issues. Um, Seems to me that you worked with some of the people uh, who are doing this too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, The rural decline tech set particularly that was used in my class was actually developed by a colleague, um, Adam Hubrig when we were taking that initial course over the summer for where we learned the C3WP program, uh, because each of us developed some, uh, some units that like we imagined we might use in our class. And that was one that he presented to us on. And as a rural educator, I was just like, Oh yes, I have to use this because kids are going to really latch on to something like this, that is just so important to their actual lives. And so I was really excited to be able to, um, use the text that he had curated around this issue. And then, you know, of course C3WP teaches those principles of how to create, you know, the nuance when you're making those text sets. So from his example and then the other training, I was able to feel a lot more confident going ahead in making other text sets that fit into my curriculum thematically.
0: Yeah. um, Adam's a great example there. I'm thinking too of our colleagues at uh, Lincoln East high school, who developed this semester, uh, we're recording this in the COVID-19 semester, um, and they developed a tech set based around a variety of approaches to COVID-19 that, as we all went on to online teaching, I think that would have been amazing and exciting for the students. Um, I've talked with Adam too, and he's experimenting with having his students uh, be shown what a tech set is, and then on a civic issue in the community that they are potentially passionate about to create for each other text sets that they think represent the variety of stakeholders that are uh, approaching whatever it is in the community. Now, Adam is a college teacher that teaches often sophomore college writing. I'm not sure whether that translates in, but I'm very excited about that kind of, kind of process that we're, we're going on. Okay, general people, I think uh, we're reaching the end of our time, and I wanted to sort of end this uh, podcast by pointing to uh, some of the work we've done. This podcast has largely been trying to articulate how it is that the C3WP text set argument based nuanced claim uh, approach fits intimately with place conscious education and the community engagement that we see that going on. One of the place conscious principles that I find to come back to over and over again is that to do place conscious work, uh, we are asking young people to engage over and over again in celebration and critique of their local place to pick out what's really valuable about their experience there and all the people and uh, aspects of the local place that really make that place valuable, and also what needs to be critiqued in the local place if their local community is going to survive and thrive into the generation that moves forward. It seems to me that the work we're doing with place-based education and C3WP is a tool to have us join those two things together, and I'm really excited about the potential for that. So, um, thank you all for listening to this uh, podcast, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we have enjoyed putting it together. Uh, Goodbye for now. This is Robert Brooke for The Writing Project, signing off. Plain State is produced by Robert Lipscomb. Post-production by Stephen Ramsey. Music by Shadows on a River. On behalf of the Department of English at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, thank you for listening to the Plain State Podcast. Tagline forthcoming.